The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Sneakers and Cleats. The podcast. Welcome back to the Sneakers and Cleats podcast. This is episode 11, last day of June, and we have way too much stuff to get to, so we're going to jump right into it. We have reaction from Jerry Jones, fiery comments about Zach Martin. Got a sit down with Jerry from our Zach Kedrick, who's done a great job of covering the Cowboys for us in Oxnard this week. Plus, we'll dive into the best division race in baseball with the Astros and Rangers separated by just one game right now and both trying to make some big moves before the deadline utsa roadrunners starting up their camp today so we'll take a look ahead of the upcoming season and one of the very prominent sports figures in texas has a uh, has a take on the downtown sports complex potential for the san antonio spurs like i said lots going on we're going to be jumping all over but we'll get right into a quick reminder you can download rate review subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and on YouTube. Thank you for the support. As always, I am your host, Matt Roy, joined by Don Harris, Chuck McAtinick. Guys, how was your weekend? Good. Saw Oppenheimer. Did you? How was yeah, it? Yeah, Chuck and I both saw it. Yep, saw it too. I how think we both give it two thumbs up, but maybe barely. Yeah, it was kind of hard to read. Like I liked all the little comms that were in there, but... I don't know. It was just a lot of dialogue compressed into the time frame, and I didn't feel like I had time to digest it all because it yeah. was moving so fast. So, other than that, though, the performances were great. Acting you know, was great. Cinematography was great. It's a beautiful movie. Music was great, but it was laborious. Isn't it, just, it like three hours long? There were a lot of details that we didn't need to know. Did you guys see it in the way that it's quote unquote designed to be seen in the seventy millimeter IMAX? No, I just saw it in the regular theater. <laughs> yeah, but me I mean, it, I can't There's... imagine seeing it in IMAX because I was I went deaf from. Uh, <laughs> I just we're getting old. I guess. I think there's only like eleven. I think I read somewhere there's like eleven or twelve theaters in the country where you're supposed to see it in like seventy millimeter IMAX, and people are traveling like five hours out of their way to see this movie. How it's designed to be seen. It was like, well. It was really well done. I mean, it's a beautiful movie. It's just, I I, I didn't want to know that much about the guy. So you haven't seen Barbie yet. No. <laughs> it's on my list of things to do, Matthew. <laughs> my wife went and saw it this weekend. I uh, luckily was working that day, so I didn't. I didn't, wasn't dragged. So let's get over to the Zach Martin situation. Last time we did the pod, discussed how Jerry and Stephen Jones kind of seemed pissed off a little bit and um, weren't really talking. That's one of the seven words you can't say on TV, man. You can't say it on a podcast. Good, good thing we're doing a podcast. Yeah, yeah George Carlin. <laughs> <laughs> that, maybe that was in the seventies. That wasn't. That was definitely in the seventies because they're saying a lot of things on TV now. Yeah, that the truth. <laughs> I guess it depends on when it airs too. But okay, um, they were pretty mad over the Zach Martin situation. They didn't say so, but you could tell. You could just tell in the way they were addressing it, not revealing too much. On Saturday, Jerry revealed a little bit more about his feelings on the Zach Martin situation, saying basically that this is not a negotiation. He's got to either show up or not show up, but he's going to continue getting fined. Let's hear from it. Thanks to our friends over at. Uh, KDFW Fox 4 in Dallas, real quick. We'll come to camp if he's, uh, we'll come to camp, but uh, there's no resolution. There's a lot of consequences if he doesn't. Uh, he's been at the top of the money all the way through, drafted high, got a lot of money, 
got a lot of money over the years. Uh, it's just hard to get it all. And uh, so the bottom line is that nothing needs to happen. It's about facts. We need the money to pay Parsons. We need the money to pay the players that we got to pay in the future. Anything. It's a fact. It's not even a, a, a philosophy. It's just a fact. Those dollars are there, and we have this at this level. And if you redid all the contracts, then you never could uh, put a roster together. They have $19 million in cap space right now. That's the first time that he's come, kind of come out and said, we need we need to pay Parsons right like as soon as possible. So I thought that was kind of interesting. What were your thoughts on his comments this weekend? I mean, Jerry's been pretty clear for the last few years about the way the salary cap works. But he's an owner, you know. That's always going to be their side of things. Jerry's made it clear that if you one dollar that you give to one guy is a dollar you can't give to another. They're trying to make it work with a lot of really talented young players. They got to pay CD. I guess they've decided not to pay Pollard long term. So that's a big decision. They're going to pay Dak. They've already paid Dak. They're going to pay Dak again. They got to pay Diggs. They just did. And so, like I said last week, it's a really hard call. Zach Martin deserves money, but not at the expense of Parsons, Diggs, Lamb. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, it's kind of what Jerry says and what he doesn't say looking at this. You know, there's no question that Zach Martin has earned the right to get paid as one of the top offensive linemen in football. The problem is, is that he's already been paid like he's one of the top offensive linemen in football. And then over time, obviously, they're going to be guys that make more money than him. It's a difficult topic to talk about because you have empathy for the player. He wants to be paid his market value, da-da-da-da-da-da. The problem is, is that I think Jerry said it succinctly when he said you can't or he can't have it all. It's like he's already been paid. He got paid real well when he got drafted in the first round, which put him in the upper echelon of rookies when he came into the league. He got his second contract. That's what these guys are looking for, their second contract. He got that. Now he wants a third one. And yeah, like not at the expense of all these other guys that need to get paid. And again, it's it's just so multifaceted when it comes to talking about ripping up Zach Martin's contract and giving him more money. Like you're not just planning if you're the Cowboys what you're going to be paying guys in 23. It's 24, 25, 26, 27. You earmark the guys that you want to keep around. And those are the guys that end up getting paid. Now Zach Martin comes out of nowhere, wants another contract. And it's like, sorry, dude, you're already making what you're making. You agreed to the terms. And, you know, I'd like to pay you what you are worth in the current market, given your position. But, you know, again, is this a bigger play here? I mean, I don't think that this was something that was basically concocted on the Zach Martin team a week or two ago. I mean, this guy sat out during OTAs and minicamps, so I think this has been going on. And, I mean, I can't remember the last time Jerry Jones drew a line in the sand like he just did. He did it in a nice way, but I think this might, there might be a bigger play here. Is Zach Martin trying to get paid this late in his career? He's 32 years old. He feels like his market value is what it is, but the Cowboys can't do it. Is he trying to play his way off of this team? I don't know. I but can he get that money? Let me ask you this. He, he wants $20 million a year. 
can he, is that his market value? Like, like everybody recognizes that he's number one in the league at his position. But he's also 32 years old. If Zach was a free agent today, would another team give him $20 yes, million a year? Absolutely. Because offensive linemen aren't like running backs or like receivers or whatever. They can go until they're 38 years old. You see Andrew Whitworth that did it with the Rams a couple of years ago. He was at the top, the top of his game until he, the day he retired. Marshall Yonda did it, and he was the guard for the Ravens. Yeah. I mean, guards, tackles, centers, offensive line, they can do it for a very, very long time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough spot, right, because you can see both sides. And if you're vital to a team's, like, success, we remember when Emmett set out those two games. They went started 0-2. Jerry paid, and he came back, and they won the Super Bowl. Emmett was vital to the Cowboys' success. So Tom Brady at age 40 or Aaron Rodgers at age 40, do they still deserve the third contract to be the very highest paid player in their at their position in the league? Yes, because they're Tom Brady and they're Aaron Rodgers and they're quarterback. I think the Cowboys, if Zach holds out to December, I think the Cowboys think they could be okay. I think that they're going to get to a point of no return here soon. He's already been fined $350,000. That's not including today, which I think will make it $400,000. You can't get that money back with the CBA now. So they're going to get to a point here, whether it's another week, two weeks, where he's fined over a million dollars. And at that point, it's just like, well, why the hell am I playing this season anyway? Right. I mean, I'm with you. I mean, there's a lot of variables here. And that's why, to me, it makes me think that there's a bigger play here from the Zach Martin camp. It's like, okay... I know my career is winding down. I'm 32 years old. You know, maybe I can go make my money somewhere else. And it's not like, you know, you can't win somewhere else. I mean, look at what the Jets are trying to do there. I mean. I'd be shocked. Zach, to me, Zach seems like Zeke in a lot of ways as like the key dude in the locker room. Well, like, he's one of them, I think. But again, it's like if you're already paying an offensive lineman, like they're paying several of their offensive linemen, $14 million a year. Is he scoring touchdowns? That's what I mean. Is he stopping they think they're touchdowns be from being scored? Right. I, I think there's, there's, some, there's some value to that train of thought because, you know, again, this is... And because they, they right now, Terrence Steele right. is going to be a backup. So well, what's would, the difference between, I mean, what's the drop-off between Zach Martin and Terrence Steele? Probably it's significant, I think, if you're not, playing a whole That's season. not what you're looking at. You're, but, you're, but looking, you're at looking at the difference at the between money. him and Ball. You're looking at the or, difference between him and other players, not just Terrence Steele. Well, no, I'm just saying that in terms of if Terrence Steele is worth this year $4.something million and Zach Martin is worth $14 million, what's the drop-off if Terrence Steele takes Zach Martin's place on depth. the roster? Only depth. And then it's, yes, it hurts the depth. But not, and it, and it hurts your offensive line. I mean, Zach Martin is better, a, a but, Hall but of Famer, not, but, but not that. Much. But when you're talking about the money fit into a salary cap situation, when other guys have to play, those are the things that a team is weighing. And I think, Matt, to your point, it's about you know the the more this goes on with the fines. I mean, he's already looking at over three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars right now. At some point. He's not going to get that money back. They're going to have to probably trade him if I think this the, thing escalates. I think those comments from Jerry were him maximizing their leverage. He's saying, no, we don't have to do anything. He's under contract for two more years. He's either going to show up or he's not. That's Jerry maximizing his leverage. But I think Zach is also maximizing his. 
he knows how pivotal he is to this offensive line. He is the leader on this offensive line. Terrence Steele said as much today to our friends over at SA Sports Star. He, he's the leader of the offensive line. Maybe Tyron Smith is there too. Maybe he's also a leader, but he's more of a quiet leader. Zach Martin is that leader on the offensive line. And the depth is what he knows he has, and, and his availability is his leverage. He's missed like nine games right. his entire career. He, they know that they can pencil him in, in at right guard, and they'll be fine. If Ty- Tyron Smith goes down again, which sadly I think we all assume he's going to miss some games this year, they have to move Tyler Smith outside. They have to get another left guard in there. But see, I, I, I go back to what Chuck said. I agree with Chuck in that. If you plug in a offensive lineman, let's just say they're saying, they're saying right now that Steele is their swing tackle, so he's on the bench. All of a sudden, he becomes your starting left guard. He can play guard. They move somebody else there, and they play Steele at a tackle. Either way. Steele is a starter. Zach Martin's out. The difference in the four, in the $10 million that you save that goes to Diggs, Lamb, Parsons, I think the Cowboys are totally fine making Lamb, Parsons happy than, and going without Zach Martin on their squad. I think so for, in the future, but not this year. This year, but, Zach Martin. But this, you're not, it I don't is think the, the future because you can't. You have to. You have to. Zach Martin is just not going to come for one. He doesn't want just more money for this year. It's the money that you're going to commit to him. And it, that's what it depends on. If he's looking for another five year deal, then this is probably his last year as a Cowboy, and he might have even played his last game as a Cowboy if that's really what he's looking for. Or if he's looking for like, okay. Give me seven more mil more this year, and we'll talk about the future in this offseason. That's a whole different discussion. He's not going to go. He's not going to go from fourteen to twenty, and then go back to twelve next year. Right. Well, his cap hit next year is twenty three million dollars. Even if he plays this year, they're either going to release him or restructure his deal next year. So, and you think after all this stuff is going to happen that he's going to restructure and help him out again? I don't think so, dude. He's a Ring of Honor guy. I know. It's, this it, is crazy. And it, it, it is crazy, right? If he's one of those guys that's going to hold out, I think that I'm starting to lean more. I, we've talked about this for weeks. I thought that it was going to be like, all right, here's a check for $6 million. You're going to play this year. We'll talk about it later. I'm starting to think he's going to get traded before the season starts. I don't know. Be fun weird, to watch. Weird situation. Um, we were lucky enough uh, yesterday. I believe. Actually, I think he sat down Saturday. But Zach got to sit down with – with Jerry, and they talked about a lot of stuff. So I'm going to play a half the interview here, and then uh, we'll play it a little bit later because he talked about another uh, interesting topic that I wanted to discuss. But the first part's Jerry talking about kind of the state of the team, why he thinks this team's primed for a big leap. So let's play that here for you. Jerry, great to see you. Let's get right into it. You said in your opening statements that you chose and love this NFL life, and you cherish these moments. You look around, you told us also, you look around and just count how many people are not here, and it makes you grateful. What What's so precious about this time in training camp, and what do you enjoy about it most? Well, uh, let's just take for example, so that our uh, viewers understand my expression. We're sitting here with a great breeze, and the rest of the country burning up, and yet we're sitting here really with long sleeves. Now, that feels like you're cheating or stealing something when that happens. Well, that's exactly the way I feel about getting to spend my life with the NFL and get to spend my life with the Cowboys and get to do what we're doing right here today. 
it almost feels like you're cheating. It's not work. But I appreciate it. I've never taken it for granted. And I've wanted to take every nuance of it and make it as transparent and as visible because I enjoy every little part of it. I like sitting here with you. I like this part of it. And I like for our fans to see the ones that want to look, see some of this. This is part of it. Jerry, I know you got some practice with the Labrati Trophy with the Oxnard Mayor during the opening ceremonies. You also said that you really like how this roster is put together. What sets it apart from previous rosters that, as you said, will make us a contender for that top spot? Now this, this bunch can really run. Uh, we got a lot of speed. Uh, it's got a lot of length. Uh, and we're not just talking about our secondary back here or our linebackers, but in general overall, it's got length, it can run, uh, and uh, it's a talented roster, got a lot of depth. We'll play a lot of the roster. They'll get a lot of not just uh, some of the backup special teams, they'll get on the field a lot. That'll make you, because this is a journey, uh, it's a marathon, that'll make you when you start in September. By the time you get to the end of January, that's a long marathon. It's two and a half college seasons. And so that guy that was a rookie when he started out here at training camp, by the time he gets there in February, he'll be the equivalent of a junior in his junior year when he came in as a freshman. We want to use that, and this bunch is made up like that. So you heard Jerry kind of talk about the impact of rookies and how young this team is and the depth of it. I mean, last year's rookies made huge impacts. Jake Ferguson, Tyler Smith, Deron Bland. How do you guys think the Turpin. depth? Turpin, yeah, Turpin as well. And then we also think that Tolbert's going to make a little bit bigger of a leap this year so much last year. He kind of busted last year, but we'll, we'll see what he does this year. How do you guys think the depth of this team and the rookies on this team are going to make an impact right away? I think it's year to year, obviously, with how this is going to play out. But, again, I hate to talk about the McCarthy history and being a McCarthy history buff, but that's been the goal of his since he got into the league. It's how quickly can you coach up the young guys because at the end of the year, you're really going to be relying on them, either because you're forced to, because of injury, or because they just start getting so good, they start getting most of the reps on the field. So I think there's a good program in place that McCarthy has seemed to be able to lean on. Who that guy's going to be or guys are going to be, I just think as a group, you're going to find out pretty quickly who are the guys they've earmarked for they think can have a lot of year one success, and then the guys that they don't, you'll see what happened like what they did with the receiver last year that was drafted in the third round. Like You just don't see them very often because they're not in the plans, but I think they've got a pretty good idea who those guys are going to be, just to, you know, who's getting reps this time of year. Yeah, I think Overshone's one of those guys. Um, they're high on him on special teams. He was a heck of a player at Texas, a linebacker, one of the most dominant players in the country. I think he's going to make an impact, maybe not as a linebacker, but on special teams. Um, Turpin, I think, if he keeps his job, if I mean, the wide receivers are so deep that that might be a position that they have to move on from. But, man, that guy was – he's a home run hitter. Um, I, I, I don't know about the tight end. We haven't seen him yet. He's been Playing hurt. Playing fasciitis and stuff. And um, – they're, they're what they say in the OTAs. They're high on the the fat guy in the middle, defensive tackle. Mozzie. Yeah, they're high on him. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how how Mozzie um, takes some pressure off of Micah and off of Tank. 
because um, they, they did lack a little bit of depth right up the middle last year and stopping the run. We saw that in the uh, in the both the Eagles games where they couldn't really stop anything up the, up the middle of the field. So uh, and Deuce Vaughn was a heck of a player. In I was just about to mention him. He, that's going to offer like a really different change of speed from the backfield if he can be kind of be that Darren Sproles role and, and he can return kicks. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. See, because he. I feel like every highlight that we saw of him at Kansas State was just him running yeah. for like an 80-yard touchdown or yeah. whatever it was. So I think he he's going to offer a different dynamic on that offense. But I think I would tend to agree with Jerry that this team is deeper than than others in the past, especially in the last four years. This is probably the deepest team that the Cowboys and have And he had. said it's faster and longer, too. Yeah. They've been drafting speed and length. It's like they're trying to play basketball yeah, I mean, here fast and length. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about Cavante Turpin. I mean, you know, I was watching him during OTAs and minicamp. The Cowboys are doing everything they can to try to make this guy make the team. Like, they've got him out there at wide receiver, but he runs. He needs help running routes. Hands are a little suspect when it comes to catching passes. This guy obviously is a home run hitter when you're talking about guys who return kicks, but they do have a lot of depth. I mean, I think he's a true bubble guy. Yeah. You know, and hopefully he can find a way to, to make this team, but – there's just a lot of talent on this football team, and I think he's one of those guys that's going to have a really hard time making this team if he can't prove that he can do something else other than return kicks. You know what I've noticed is that even when they're not talking about the receiving core and you're just talking about the team in general, the name that always comes up, between, no matter who you're asking, is Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks comes out of everyone's mouth in every press conference and every interview. The impact that he's already made on the locker room is tangible, and the the impact that he's going to make on the field, I think, is going to be really telling as to how this season plays out. Yeah, there's no question that it was kind of like reminds me of when uh, Tim Duncan came to San Antonio. He played his first training camp practice against David Robinson and Vinny Del Negro and Avery Johnson came out of the gym at Shriner College with their eyes like this, like looking at us, like. We got something. I think I think that his first few practices in those eight OTAs, everybody came out of there talking about this guy's speed was different mm-hmm. and that Dak loved it and that, holy cow, we're different because of his speed. Yeah, the burst off the line is impeccable. The route running is so crisp and so sharp. It's just like a really powerful river flowing wherever it wants to. It's completely different when you see it in real time, and he's going to be a handful. He has been a handful for other teams. It's going to be fun to see how much he does to help the Cowboys, but, yeah, how much he's going to make the other guys around him better, too. I mean, has anybody had more 1,000-yard receiving yards in a row? Than, I mean, seven straight? This I mean, guy's had a 1,000-yard se- receiving season in seven straight years? Yeah, I think Jerry Rice had, like, 13 or something. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get you. I mean, that's current. That's active yeah, right, right now. No, I mean, his, his impact's going to be – Incredible, especially when you run him on the deep post and you run you run uh, CD in the middle off that dig, or you run uh, a couple of slants and you put Brandon Cooks over the middle. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see how they play him and how how um, uh, creative Mac and Schottenheimer can be with him on the bubble screens and the tunnel screens and everything else like that. So, yeah. especially if you got Pollard and Vaughn underneath too, We're taking speed, the ball. The speed is crazy. Taking yeah. the ball out of the backfield too, he'll do that for you as well. Absolutely, get him on the, some some of those jet sweeps. Uh, let's get to a former Cowboy. Uh, Zeke Elliott took his first free agent visit this weekend, and it was with the New England Patriots. He didn't sign, but they're going to remain in contact. You guys have seen him a lot longer than I have. How much do you think 
Zeke has left in the tank, and can he help a team like the Patriots or any other team in the league right now? I think he can some. You know, I think he's a great leader. He'd be great for a young running back room or a young team that needs some leadership in the room. I think he's, you know, when he's used sparingly, he's still tough. He doesn't have breakaway speed, but he's durable. So I think, you know, he's he's a guy where when an injury happens to a team that has little depth at that spot, he will be a useful addition to somebody's team. Yeah, the Patriots, that's an interesting dynamic right there because they've got they're looking for some help for Ramondre Ramondre Stevenson. And I guess Ty Will or Ty Montgomery, their backup, got hurt. Well, they have Damian Harris too. They got some players, right? But I mean, yeah. Zeke can still help you in short yardage. He's elite when it comes to picking up blitzes and blocking, squaring up those blitzes. I mean, you talked about what he does for you in the room. I mean, this guy probably make a good coach someday with yeah. his knowledge of the game. I mean, he's a football player, and he, he's a humble football player. I think he would work out great in that locker I think room. he could do something like LeGarrette Blunt used to do for the Patriots, just kind of like that that third, not third down back, but that short yardage back, the guy who is kind of the adult in the room, especially when you have Damian Harris or Andre Stevenson on those rookie deals. You can bring in someone for maybe $5 million, $4 million for Zeke and give him a little bit of money just to be that vet and kind of talk through the offense, work with – Mac Jones, work with uh, uh, Bill O'Brien and kind of teach everybody as well as kind of showing everybody next year maybe that he still has a lot left in the tank. Yeah, Harris is Harris is a tough back too. Yeah, I mean, every every back that comes out of Alabama, and, I and feel don't like. Forget, <laughs> Zeke is a heck of a snapper. <laughs> he can hike the football, man. I mean, if, they need to, if he gains a few more pounds, they can play him at center. I don't know. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Belichick reached directly out to Stephen Jones to kind of see you too. And I'm, I'm sure Stephen and, and Jerry are class acts when it comes to that stuff. They probably gave him a glowing recommendation when it comes to uh, talking to Bill about that stuff. So uh, let's change change uh, lanes a little bit. Huge news on Saturday about the Rangers trading for uh, Max Scherzer. Mad Max Obviously, it didn't work out well with the Mets this year, spending $320 million on a big pile of nothing for them. So they are, a lot, they are ahead by one game on the Astros, both teams making a big push to uh, kind of an arms race right now. The Astros traded for Kendall Graveman, who was on the roster back in 2021, trying to add another familiar face possibly with Justin Verlander. The Rangers added Max Scherzer, Jordan Montgomery, another uh, reliever, Hicks from St. Louis. Do you guys think that the Rangers have done enough? Because I, I was of the opinion that they weren't going to outlast the Astros. I still didn't think they were now that they have Mad Max, maybe. Do you guys think that the Rangers have done enough to hold off the Astros and win the AL West? Hard to know, right? I mean, what Scherzer are you getting? Yeah, I mean, it's that. He's been a lot better the second half of this of this. I mean, I, I worry less about him, but it's like, you know, what's Evaldi's health situation like yeah. right now? I mean, he was scratched from a start yesterday or uh, what day was that, Sunday? Uh, I don't know. To me, and this is just a feel thing, it's like I feel like the Rangers have the better roster, but maybe the Astros have the better team at this point just because they got so many skins on the wall and – and I like Count Dracula. I don't care what's happening with these guys, the injuries, you know, who leaves in free agency. It doesn't matter. These guys just keep plugging along. And the fact that they've had so much in terms of, you know, decimation to their staff. You talk about some of the studs in their lineup that they've lost that 
hopefully they're going to get back here with Uncle Mike and maybe some of these other guys. I mean, it just feels like until proven otherwise, the Astros are going to be really, really tough to shrug for the Rangers going It's Houston, right? It's Rudy T. It's never underestimate the heart of a champion. <laughs> right? And they're the champions. They are, and they're champs for a reason. Yeah. And it's... That's why I thought that the Rangers didn't have enough at the All-Star break. I thought that they had to make a lot of moves. Well, they've they made, did. They've made a lot of moves, but now that but now Jonas Heim might be out for the season. So they might need another bat now. But I don't know. The Astros just kind of have that they have that championship vibe around them. I don't think the Verlander thing's happening. They seem to be very far apart. I think the Rangers were going to get Scherzer no matter what. I don't do find it curious and I told Chuck this last night. I think I think the St. Louis trade was because they may know something they're not telling us about Evaldi. And, and and so they make that deal. Like, that wasn't in their plans until they told everybody on the broadcast yesterday, oh, it's just on the 15-day DL. They're, it's no big deal. They fully expect him to be back on day 15. We'll see. As a Red Sox fan, when you hear elbow discomfort and Nathan Evaldi's name in the same sentence, you need to hold your breath. Yeah. Right. It happens to him a lot. He's already had TJ surgery, so that's that's not good. And their pitching that was so good, Dane Dunning and, and John Gray and all these guys who were having career years have quickly regressed and fallen back to earth. I mean, we saw them just get swe- swept by the Padres where they couldn't score and they couldn't stop the other team from scoring. And they lost DeGrom, right? Yeah, they already lost, so, De- they already lost DeGrom. Sorry. So <laughs> I'm just going to pull the whole set here. Um, Out of price movers. Yeah, they already lost the My Grom. money's on the Astros. Y'all convince me. My money's on the Astros, too. I, I can't convince you otherwise. Until I'm, until I'm proven wrong and until the Astros completely fall apart, I, I can't. Like Tiger Woods. I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm just hoping that, you know, the Rangers, I'm not hoping. That's not the right terminology. I'm just glad that what's happening before our eyes is something that I dreamed about early on in the season. What is it going to be like with the Astros and Rangers duking it out off the field to try to get players, on the field to try to get to the postseason? It's going to be great for the state of baseball in the month of September. What's also, I'm here for it. What's also kind of crazy is that the Astros lost Verlander, but then they, now they have Hunter Brown, J.P. France, Brian Bel- Beliak, or however you pronounce that last, his Belak. last name. Belak, yeah. thank you. Their pitching has gotten better. Yeah, they got because studs. they have all these homegrown talent guys, and then you have the Rangers who are trying to buy their way to a championship. After you know they signed Marcus Simeon, they signed Corey Seager, who's out right now. You have uh, Josh Young, who is homegrown, but then you now you're signing Uvalde, you're signing Scherzer, you have Degrom, who's on the DL, you have all these big money guys, and then you have the little Astros who have just kind of piddled away and had the best farm system, and now they have the best players because they developed those guys. Yep. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic. It's disappointing that our boy Forrest Whitley's not in that conversation. Right. right. Wish he was. Yeah, yep, absolutely. That's right, because yeah, that would have been him as one of those guys. I mean, yeah. you could see what the pecking order was, and Forrest was going to be uh, number two behind uh, Hunter Brown. So, you know, it's a shame that he hasn't been able to stay healthy, but I get the feeling something good's coming his way. You just got to be a little more patient. I was sitting, I was sitting uh, watching the game yesterday, the Rangers game, when when Josh Young comes to the plate with bases loaded in the top of the ninth, and I was like, all right, man, here we go. Lead off the newscast right now, right. and then it flies out. I was like, damn it, here we go. Just missed it. Just missed it. <laughs> well, I think we were all just like, all right, here we go, guys. Here we go. All right, yeah. <laughs> all right let's uh, switch gears yet again to uh, – 
the UTSA starting their training camp today. I think we're all very excited to see how they compete this season in the AAC. Before we get too far into the discussion, because I know there's a lot to talk about with them in the AAC and all the guys that they're going to be playing against, let's hear from Jeff Trailer from Media Day uh, last week. He spoke kind of on the meteoric rise that that we've all seen under him and how his guys have kind of quickly adapted and how they're going to have to yet again adapt as they go into the AAC this year. You know, it was new for us. You know, we were, we were just thrilled that we won one. And, uh, and, and, and those kids did it again. Uh, undefeated this time, I might add. We had the one loss, you know, the year before last, and they did it undefeated. And I, I just think they have a, a sense of belonging, uh, but also a sense of humility. Uh, we understand how fortunate we've been. We've won some miraculous ball games uh, through the last few years. And I think those kids just get it. They're older. They understand it. And uh, we also have a lot of respect for the league we're moving into. And we know it's our, our first four games are as tough as anybody's in the country. And then we've got a very tough conference schedule as well. So uh, we've got a, a huge task in front of us. Very simple question, guys. What are your expectations coming into this year for the Roadrunners? Man, it's hard to say, right? Because if they were back in the conference USA, I'd say they'd go undefeated again and win the conference and, you know, win 10 or 11 games. You don't win 12 games ever. No one does. It's happened like 10 times in the history of Texas college football, and they've done it twice in the last two years. Um, eight and four, you know, and uh, that's a great season in this league. I'm worried about Frank Harris after what he told us this week about his four knee surgeries since January. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that going to hold up? They're loaded, man. I mean, they are loaded with talent. Most talent they've ever had. They're deep. They got everybody coming back. They developed the offensive line last year when everybody was banged up. But they got to go to Tennessee. And they got to, you know, Go to Tulane, who beat USC in the Cotton Bowl. So, I'm going to say eight and four, and that, and I think that's a great year that maybe wins the conference. I think that sounds about right to me too. I mean, there are a lot of question marks, right? The unknown of playing new opponents. There's no familiarity with hardly any of these teams. You've got, you know, their wide receiver trio, maybe the best in the country, at least certainly in the conversation. You've got. J.T. Clark, who may or may not be ready for the first game, and then Zakari transferred. And so, you know, you might only be down to one guy early on in the season with Josh Cephas, who's got skins on the wall. So I think there's some concerns there. Maybe not concerns because they are deep, and, you know, they've done a good job with next man up mentality, uh, mentality. But those three dudes together were elite. And then, you know, you throw an Oscar at tight end, you know, how dynamic they are at running back. I mean, that's a hell of a lot of weapons you know, and Frank's talent at quarterback too. But so if you start picking away at some of this, there's going to be, you know, guys are going to have to have some time to grow up, right? And then you talk about how tough their non-conference schedule is too. And then when you get to conference play, how much of a fist fight and how much those games mean. I mean, this really is going to be a tough march for them, I think, start to finish, given all of those variables. And, you know, it might be a little harder to win games this year or as many for sure, but you know, you like your chances with the amount of talent that they have, it's, for it, sure. I can't believe we're talking about UTSA in this vein. Like, five years ago, man. Right, yeah. 
Five years ago, they were like, you know, we talked about them like we talked about Trinity or North Texas, where I went. It was just, I mean, this this program, this it's it's ridiculous how how well they've recruited. The they're projecting Trey Moore, the the Smithson Valley sophomore linebacker, as a second round pick whenever he comes out. Kavorian Barnes was offered a ton of money by a Pac-12 uh, big-time school uh, in NIL, and he wasn't even in the portal. So they've got – Yeah, same with Frank. Somebody offered yeah. Frank a million bucks to leave. <laughs> yeah. And he stayed. And he two, stayed. For like 270 right? Something like that? Yeah, something like that. And, again, man, Frank's health is the whole season. Yeah. I mean, as Frank goes, so go the birds. So – Man, just knock on wood, he stays healthy. But they're deeper than they've ever been in a lot of those positions. Jamal Ligon's a heck of a linebacker. Brandon Brown's an NFL player. JT Clark's an NFL player. Yep. Oscar Cardenas is an NFL player. Cephas is an NFL and player. Cephas. I think I just saw. Cephas is tall. Dude, I didn't know he was 6'2". Ataiki Ogle Kellogg's coming back. I think yep. I just saw Frank Harris been named to the uh, Maxwell Football Award watch list for the second straight season. Yeah, There's what is he change. not named to? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I don't know. I actually <laughs> I saw a – I don't know who this guy was, but he worked for some other uh, network. Uh, actually, I don't even think it was a network. I think it was just one of those off-brand sites. <laughs> and I saw him. He's, like, named his top 50 quarterbacks in, yeah. in college football, and yeah. Frank wasn't on it. And I was like, that completely invalidates this entire 100%. list. Because yeah. if, if Frank Harris isn't a top 50 college quarterback, then I don't know what you're watching. Right. And that's further proof that I think it's a generational thing. Because Chuck and I remember when those people didn't exist or have a platform. That when you say... This guy was blogging for whatever. Yeah. PFT, whatever. See, these are guys that are sitting at home in mom's basement. <laughs> no one's paying for their content. Right? They're making 25 bucks an article to, to publish for somebody who just wants to have content on their website and should not be taken seriously, positive or negatively. And these they're they're everywhere. The NBA, the NFL, college football. It's it's a proliferation of nincompoops who don't have the credibility to be talking about anything. So do you think they win at Houston this year? I don't know. Houston's good. Houston's very good and they're now a big twelve team, so that's also interesting. They have like double the budget the UTSA has and they went to triple O T last year. Yeah, and they and, and and Houston Houston's really good. I, I do think Though UTSA surprised me last year in the Alamo Dome, I didn't think they would play Houston that close, and they did. I well, think they can win at Houston. I think they can. I just don't know if they will. Yeah. I think that there's, they've had so many close games, and, and uh, Jeff Trailer said that at, at Media Day. He said that all along. They could easily have been like 4-10 and 10 last Easy. year. Easy. If one ball goes a different way against Army or against one tip pass here, exactly. I mean, the, if, whole, if his whole his whole career here. Oscar Cardenas doesn't make that wild one handed grab that he that he did over the middle. I mean, the whole season could have gone differently. Maybe they wouldn't even be in the AAC if they these balls don't go their way. So it's it's going to be telling if they are able to get those same bounces in a different conference in a better conference even though they have you know four of the same opponents as they did in the But you the know what USA. they make their own luck they do and they are gritty as heck last year at the Troy Bowl game when Frank was beat up and playing on a bad knee and and they were not playing well that's that game still came down to a Hail Mary 
that Zakari Franklin almost made that catch because these guys have the will to fight, and they believe they're going to win every game. Yeah, I think to piggyback on what Don said, and they've already done it. Like, you just named a bunch of dudes that have done things in big games, and now they're a year older. So while those other teams are trying to find guys that can do that, they've already got those guys in place. I think they can possibly go let's – just, let's just chalk Houston and Tennessee up as a loss. I think they can get to Tulane undefeated besides those two. It's going to be interesting to see, though. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You're gonna have a. I don't know, you're guys. Gonna stub your toe at some point. You know, you got a game where you don't show up. Yeah, and the big thing is to, I think you you have to keep an eye more so on Tulane than you do the other two games. But you know, I mean, I know everybody wants to beat those other schools and make a name for yourself. But at the end of this, you know, you're in a new conference and get ready for that first. Let's just play in fantasy land real quick and just say yeah. that they beat Tennessee. Well, That'd be awesome. Yeah, I was just gonna say, <laughs> at what point in the program's history? Do they do the App State at Michigan upset where yeah. they go into Rocky Top and beat a top 25? I mean, Tennessee was ranked number one last year at some point, yeah, at one point. So, at you know, go into Rocky Top with 105,000 and lead Sports Center with UTSA upsets, you know. I mean, they've beat some big teams already, they're they beat, not afraid. They, they beat Illinois already, they've beat, uh, they beat a lot, a lot of good teams under Trailer. Trailer has these guys clicking. And uh, he said it yesterday. He said it last week as well. As long as number zero is on the field, they got a chance. They were. I mean, I was there in Austin last year. They were. I mean, they were. It was a really good game midway through the third quarter. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get to last topic, which is uh, one of Don's favorites: downtown relocation um, for the Spurs. Zach asked Jerry a really good question about kind of what that downtown complex would do for San Antonio, and and. He, I thought Jerry gave a really fascinating answer as to why and how he built Jerry World the way he did. So let's get a, let's hear from uh, Jerry and Zach real quick. This is the latter part of our sit down with Jerry Jones. You've partnered with you know several cities and and places, Frisco, Arlington, to build new stadiums. The the San Antonio Spurs they're looking at maybe building a new downtown sports complex, looking for maybe some help from the public. What? advice would you give to a sports organization that's trying to get that done in this landscape of you know building a new downtown arena? Well, uh, uh, my experience in sports is that, uh, uh, for instance, uh, in the NFL, only 7% of NFL fans have ever been inside a stadium. Seven. That means 93% watch it on television. When I built AT&T Stadium, I built it so 100,000 people could sit in it, but I didn't build it for that. I put about a third more in it because I wanted Al Michaels and John Madden not to tell the 100,000 in the stadium, but tell the 30 million watching how nice that stadium was and all the nuances of the stadium. It's about that. The right, and the Spurs are the ticket. They're the real deal. And so that can be a message to the millions out here in this country about what San Antonio is. And the Spurs will represent you well. And so I can tell you, an investment in your visibility to all the eyeballs out here is as valuable as building a freeway for your cars. Jerry Jones playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers, I 100%, see. 100%, right? I mean, that's, that's just so interesting to me. It's like, if you build it, they will come kind of mentality for him 
Yeah, don't care if they come. If you build it, look how great your city looks. Competitively, when it comes to attracting new business, uh, your your infrastructure, your economy, et cetera, et cetera. Look, I you know I know San Antonio's history with asking the public for for public funds. The Alamo Dome was a huge success. That building was paid off for in eight months on a via bus quarter cent sales tax. And for the last 30 years, we've had men's final fours, Alamo Bowls, and on and on and on. Uh, the AT&T Center was built on the back of hotel, motel, rental car tax. It doesn't crush the have-nots. Um, and I think the, the funding model is so different now because the Spurs got Michael Dell, Joe Gebbia, Sixth Street Partners, Kim Lewis, and these other big-time money people. I think the Spurs are prepared to do what Jerry did. Jerry put up 600 and the city of Arlington put up 400 It was a 60-40 split to build that billion-dollar stadium. They're not going to build something that that's expensive. But a 60-40 split, I think the Spurs are probably willing to do this time around because you re recoup all your investment – on all the development that goes around downtown. I think the leadership is there. I mean, that that baseball leadership that's, you know, some of it's tied to the Spurs too, but it's got Manu and David Robinson and Graham Weston and Randy Smith and Henry Cisneros and Hope Andrade and politically, civically, money. I think I think I think it'll I I do think it'll happen. I think the right leadership is in place to push this forward. Yeah, it's a tough one to tackle because, I mean, again, what does this look like? I mean, we're talking about these things, but have anybody put forth a plan? This is what we think something like this would look like. You know, how would this look like downtown? Is there an appetite from it from the public? Do we want to allocate taxpayer dollars for a minor league stadium to tie along with this? I mean, there's a lot of things that I have questions about. But again, I don't know if any of those things matter if you've got the right people around it or if you've got the right money behind it. But, you know, what's the global banking crisis going to look like in a year, six months from now even? I mean, there's a lot of variables. It's interesting to have these talks. I just want to know what some of this stuff actually looks like because it's already a pain in the ass getting around downtown. In my yeah. personal experience, what's it going <laughs> to look like when you've got a ballpark and a in a you know a, a municipal auditorium style place uh, arena down there, what's that going to do to the d downtown infrastructure in general? I mean, you, the hope is that yeah, there's going to be more places to hang out, and you know I've seen that with my own two eyes how that works. I mean, Atlanta they got a ballpark, they built a ballpark. There's tremendous stuff around there. Arlington, it's amazing what's around there. St. Louis, what they've done since that ballpark was built. It's absolutely amazing. Phoenix. I mean, I think if you can guarantee these other things, but again, what's the infrastructure going to look like? And again, I'm not, I'm still just, I'm right as we sit here today, opposed to funding any of these things with more taxes, because it's always more. It's never less. It's always more. So if, you know, it's not my money. So if, if I'm a businessman, of course, I'm going to take money that's coming in from the public if I can get it. But if it's my business, you know, is, is somebody going to help me do my business and give me all these abatements and everything else to go along with it? Again, I just want to know what some of this stuff actually looks like as opposed to just, you know, this is what the vision might be. Right. And I think I think it's going to take and I think that's why I think it works is because I think they're prepared 
from the PR standpoint, when you have David and Manu, um, they want to make sure before they bring this towards anybody that it's clear what it looks like, right? And who's going to pay for what and all that. But I do think that they have the pieces in place to sell a wimby, hungry fan base along with the baseball on a on a you know not 100% funded deal and again again i i i think it's so vital to your city you look at what austin has done and how they've crushed us in the last 15 years when you drive through downtown austin and you see their their skyline and their economy and the businesses they've brought there I think the Spurs, like Jerry said, are one of those things. It's the reason that the Spurs get a tax break and your victory capital business, whatever came to town, doesn't necessarily get a tax break is because the 30 million that are watching, you know, when you're in the NBA finals. When you have an owner like Jerry, who is probably, maybe not even probably, the most powerful owner in sports, I would say, maybe. In, in the three major sports, four major sports probably. that we have in America, Jerry's probably in the top two or three of the most powerful owners in sports. When you have someone like that in your own state saying something like that, that you need to build something that not only will make your city happy and the people that are in attendance happy, but that will make an ESPN broadcast draw people to your city it's it's just incredibly fascinating to hear that perspective from the from the billionaire that has done it already and has seen the fruits of AT&T Center and Jerry World kind of come to fruition but also the star right i mean that was one where jerry put up the money for the most part now he got some help from the frisco school district cuz they could play their games there and from the city of frisco he got some tax breaks on the land but jerry's making all his money back because the omni hotel and all those retail business uh, park around him, it's kind of like the Pearl. They're all paying Jerry lease rent. They're all, and, and Jerry's making that money back. And I think that's strategically why the Spurs dumped some of their old school owners that didn't have billions. They had millions. And now they've got Dell, Gebbia, and these others that are willing to put up their own money in order to make it back in the long haul. And I think it's, it's, I think it's a, a financial investment that moves the city forward. Like, I'm like, Chuck, I'm interested to see what it looks like. I envision the Alamo dome where it is, the basketball gym in lot a, a little further South around where the bill Millers is and to the, uh, East a little bit where that industrial park, you know, is. Those, those graffitied buildings that everyone needs yeah, there. Yeah. And then the it's baseball art, stadium, the baseball stadium sitting right across 281, which is now maybe buried underground with a baseball stadium sitting where, you know, that Institute of Texas Cultures is with the Tower of the Americas right over the center field fence and restaurants and businesses and the Pearl, you know, picture the Pearl. Dude, we drove by the Pearl, dilapidated Pearl for years. Just It was just an eyesore. And now that place is the gem of San Antonio. So it can be done. Right, but but you don't need necessarily the Spurs or minor league baseball to have the Pearl grow and 
you know, look like it does now. I mean, I think the difference between, you know, what Jerry's done is that's NFL money. That's a completely different animal that drives everything that's happened for Jerry because the NFL is literally the only thing that people are watching on TV right now. I, I mean, mean, NBA money is pretty crazy too. It, it's not bad, but it ain't NFL money. I mean, let's be real. I yeah. mean, the, the, there's the NFL and then there literally is everything else. So, you know, again, if you're talking about the NBA, that's one thing, but now minor league baseball, minor league baseball, not major league baseball, minor league baseball. I know, but I, I disagree with you on that because I, you have two. We've been to Oklahoma City and, and Nashville yeah. and Memphis. And I'm not saying we don't need a municipal stadium because I think we do. We need something or at least do something with Wolf Stadium as it sits there today to make it look more attractive and get it up to specs to even double A standards, which it clearly isn't as it sits here now. But it's just it's a different realm when you're talking about the NFL. And again, I I just I don't know. It's hard for me to get excited about more taxes for minor league anything. I'm just not there. How often do you stay in a hotel room in San Antonio? Well, I know, or but rent some, a car. somebody's paying for that. Visitors. I mean, Who yeah. cares? Well, I'm just, <laughs> I don't yeah. care if somebody comes Hey, when well, I go to San Francisco we'll or agree when to I disagree there. When I go to <laughs> when I go to Denver and, and look at my Hotel bill, and they say it's a hundred and fifty dollar room, and it's two twenty. And you look at because there's a thirty nine dollar stadium tax. I gotta pay it. Or, or you go to Vegas, and there's a resort fee. Um, yeah, there's taxes on everything. I mean, that's you know, that's but my if you, point. If is, you yes, w- more taxes. Okay, okay. It's, but there were people, you're not gonna feel it, but you'll you'll feel it somewhere else because everybody else is doing the same thing. So you think if we didn't build the Alamo Dome because everybody was whining back then about the quarter cent via tax. What that has done for San Antonio, you don't think it was worth it? No. The I Final think, Fours? Right. You're talking minor league baseball, Don, not Final Fours. Right. But with the spur, but you're still talking about a downtown experience like Wolf Stadium and AT&T Center to me are just w- way out of the way. And if you want to, you know, project your city in the most positive light when you go, hey, man. I went to Nashville. It's really cool. And before they even had professional football. Wow, that's not, I wish we had something like that. When you when you go to those towns, when you when I went to Oklahoma City for Spurs Thunder and saw their minor league ballpark compared to Wolf Stadium, I was like, are you kidding me? Oklahoma City has something like this and we don't? Well, Chuck, I think you're focusing on the I'm not saying you're wrong, but I think you're focusing on the wrong thing. Like, yes, minor league baseball. I, we're not going to spend $2 billion on a minor league baseball stadium. You're spending $2 billion, just throwing a number out there, on a new home for the Spurs to secure them for the next 30 years, on development downtown, which drastically really needs it, and a minor league baseball stadium. Like, that's that's almost like the third thing on the list. As long as you have buy-in from the city and from businesses around town – then I think that that can work. But and it's I like, do think yeah, Chuck is important for, for what Chuck is saying is that what do the taxes look like, right? How much, like what am I asking you to be paid, right? And so I do think there's validity to that. And, but I also think that if it's a quarter cent via bus tax or uh, a hotel motel tax that we've seen with the AT&T Center and, and others, that help a team stay versus leave because the Oklahoma city mayor couldn't have said it better. There are 18 cities with arenas 
built or being built with the hopes of attracting an NBA city. And he's like trying to keep theirs in OKC. That's exactly the same age as the AT&T Center, 21 years old. You could also do it by not raising taxes, but by all, but by uh, diverting the taxes you already have and kind of divvying those up in a separate way. Let's say that I don't know what the Hotel Motel tax is. Let's say it's 8%. All those 8% are probably dedicated right now. But if you make one of those percentages towards the downtown complex, then okay, you're diverting that money. That's, that's getting ready there. to happen. The state gets a tax, $222 million worth, from the hotels within a three-mile radius of the Alamo Dome, of, of any stadium in your downtown. The state is getting ready to give that back to the cities. So there's going to be $222 million worth of taxes that the state was going to get that the city can now give to upgrade the Alamo Dome and the convention center, which is about to happen. That's about to be yeah, finalized. They're, they're about to spend $250 million to renovate the Alamo Dome. They need right. to in order to well, get the final And the board. convention center. Right. Right. But so, so like you said, that's, that's exactly right. There's already tax dollars out there that's being allocated for highways or whatever that you could divert. Right. Yeah, those tax dollars that we never see put to good use. <laughs> the potholes. <laughs> yes. Uh, right. I'm just saying, I, I'm not against anything at this point. I just want to know what it looks like. Yeah. These are my concerns before I see what it looks like. Right. And sure. If, and if you look at... Valid. And if, if you look at how the... Uh, anywhere that's that's trying to build a new stadium right now, you see the plans come out. You see how much they're costing. I feel like $2 billion is the going rate if you're going to build something like this. You look at the Royals stadium that they're trying to build in downtown Kansas City. It's going to be something like that. So we're years away from this happening. Yeah. We're, we're years away from this happening. But I just thought that hearing Jerry say that was really interesting, especially when it comes to this entire conversation. But if you're not looking to the future, you right. blink and you've got a 30-year-old barn out there in the middle of the east side. Right. <laughs> right? And while that's happening, your, your pro team is probably looking for another place. That's to exactly play. right. Yep. Everybody's whining about Austin. Oh, so the Spurs are going to move to Austin. The Spurs are not going to move to Austin, but we have to do what it going to, it's going to take to keep them here. Yeah. Uh, I could do this all day, but we've already gone over, this, <laughs> over the time that I wanted to do. So uh, that's all for we got for today. Don is going to be off on Thursday, correct? You're out of yeah. here? Yeah. Where are you yeah. going for on your vacation anyway? Uh, that's a that's – a, uh, It's private. That's not going to Cabo. I'm going to be at my house. So if you're thinking about coming and robbing me while I'm on vacation, I'm going to be there. <laughs> all right. Well, that's I'm not all... going anywhere, Matt. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you talking about? Uh, I'm house sitting for Don, actually. So, yeah, yeah. Matt, I'll, I'll be there. You and your four AR-15s. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and your. Don't you have like three or four Dobermans though? Too uh, uh, Rottweilers. Did, so. Rottweilers. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're good. They they only eat steak, right? Raw meat. Right. 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 Okay. Quick reminder: you can you get have the to pop- get through the three security gates. <laughs> Quick reminder, you can get the podcast wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. The YouTube version has uh, video elements of all the sound bites and uh, other video plugged in along the way. I'll go do that right now and get this posted as soon as possible. Please download, subscribe, rate, review, unsubscribe, resubscribe, rate, re-review. Give us a five-star rating and some feedback. Feedback is a gift. We will be back on Thursday. Don will be not here, but uh, Chuck will be, and we'll talk about UTSA quarterback Frank Harris. He did an exclusive interview with Don yesterday. Plus, high school football starting up this week. So we'll see you on Thursday on the Sneakers and Cleats podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.